0: All right, everyone, welcome to the Slightly Above Average Football Fan Podcast with Andrew Drozdak and Thomas Bowen. This is a podcast for slightly above average football fans, slightly below average football fans that want to learn more about the game. And if you're a football junkie, this is the podcast for you. We're glad you're here and we hope you enjoy it. Alright everybody, welcome into episode 6 of season 3 of the Slightly Above Average Football Fan Podcast, the X's and O's show for the Jimmys and the Joes. My name is Andrew Droznak, I am your co-host, I'm joined as always by my good buddy, and here is where I usually have a very clever intro for Thomas, but much like Marcus Satterfield, I'm unprepared to and I'm just going to say hello to my good friend Thomas Bowen. How you doing bud?
1: I am doing well, Andrew. Uh, after a, a rough week, rough weekend, particularly for uh, us Gamecock fans, we've uh, we flushed the weekend, and we're looking on to uh, brighter days. Absolutely, a hundred
0: percent. And
1: uh, so, as we
0: just kind of alluded to, South Carolina um, is coming off a tough weekend against Georgia, number one in the country, Georgia Bulldogs, defending national champions, Georgia Bulldogs. We will talk <laughs> a link about that game and, and kind of its statement about the what that means for the South Carolina program and the season right now and how it impacts going forward, potentially. And so we are going to take a look at our game reactions first. We'll talk a little bit about the next coming weeks for South Carolina, touch base on Clemson, Wake Forest, and then take a small look around college football. And so, Thomas, start us off by giving me your feelings about the game on
1: last Saturday? I would love to. I I have a lot of feelings about that game, but I I don't honestly think we have enough time to really get into all those. So I want to focus on one thing, one particular thing, and I know that normally I'm the defensive guy here, but I want to go to the offensive side here. And if you'll indulge me a moment here. We said at the beginning of the season that it's put up or shut up time for offensive coordinator Marcus Satterfield. He came into this season with a deep, talented running back room, an offensive line with an enormous amount of experience and playing time, huge upgrades through the portal, and a quarterback with arguably more talent than any other Gamecock quarterback in history. No more excuses for Satterfield. Yet, here we are after three games, and South Carolina is dead last in the SEC in rushing. Hell, they haven't even rushed for 100 yards in a single game, this offense has not scored more than three points in the first quarter through three games. South Carolina has three receiving touchdowns on the season. Jaheem Bell, one of the most talented pieces of this offense, has zero touchdown catches. The featured back, Marshawn Lloyd, has two rushing touchdowns on the year, and our leading rusher has a paltry 82 yards. Marcus Satterfield is absolute hot garbage, and may be the worst OC I have ever personally seen work in my life, and I sat through multiple Kurt Roper seasons. This offense has no identity. Every competent offense needs a base scheme or intent to build upon. As an example, you look at Gus Malzahn. His his entire offense is based on the buck sweep, but he runs that buck sweep and variations of it out of myriad formations and personnel groupings. I have absolutely no idea what Satterfield's offense is based on. Also, this offense is outrageously predictable. Case in point, last week against Georgia, South Carolina's driving. A nice run by Lloyd sets up third and six. And what does the genius Marcus Satterfield do? He brings in Dak Joyner and the Wildcat, and every single person knew exactly what was coming. Sure enough, Dak runs it, barely ekes out three yards, and South Carolina punts. That play was a microcosm of the ineptitude that is Marcus Satterfield. And to make it even worse, we know that Satterfield scripts his first drive. It wasn't like in that moment he thought, hey, this is a good play call. He decided to run that play days prior, slept on it who knows how many nights, and still thought it was the right call. I'm tired. I'm tired of watching this much talent get pissed away because we have an offensive coordinator who can't adjust his scheme and or play calls to maximize the talent and skills on the field, instead forces his personnel to fit his scheme. That is not the mark of a good offensive coordinator. And frankly, the longer he's on staff, the more that I worry about Beamer's ability to do anything of substance at South Carolina, and quite frankly, to keep this fantastic recruiting class Intact. I'm done with Marcus Satterfield. End of rant. I need a drink.
0: That was that was a rant and it was accurate and there was no reason or uh, logic that that I disagree with there. Um, I'm actually going to hit on some similar points, Um, but I agree wholeheartedly. And so. Thomas, you you really hit the nail on the head. The one thing I do want to talk about, and this is more in general of football and coaching football. Coaches watch film, Thomas, and you know this, for two reasons. To scout the team that you're going to play and to look for tendencies that the other team is going to have. When you're scouting a team, Thomas, you and I kind of do this every week for this show. You take a look at games that the team has played. You look for their personnel, who's their best player at each position, and you might look on defense at, you know, do they have a four-man front, a three-man front? Do they run two linebackers with a hybrid, three traditional linebackers? Are they a four-three defense? That's all scouting, and that's all well and good. But you can do that, as you and I do that, by watching YouTube and by reading articles on multiple different websites nowadays what you really ought to be doing as an offensive or defensive staff for that matter is looking at what the tendencies of the other team is what do I mean by that so you're going to watch several previous games and in that time you're going to say okay in a certain situation say third and medium call it third and seven at a certain spot on the field in a certain score and a certain time in the game over a five game spread or even a six game spread this is what this defensive coordinator likes to do and from that as an offensive coordinator you're going to build your game plan thomas you 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 said it directly oftentimes marcus satterfield he has said scripts his first series he is looking at the tendencies of the opening Times that the, the defense are, have run and forms they've run and blitzes they've run and stunts they've run said this is what's going to be successful. But what makes a truly effective play caller on both sides of the ball is that in-game adjustment. That in-game adjustment is what makes you great. I would say one of the best ever to do in college football is Steve Spurrier on the offensive side of the field. When Coach Spurrier was locked in, he didn't just know what you were going to start off running. He knew the changes you were going to make. He had a a savant-like ability to go, okay, we just beat them with this offensive play and formation, and they were in this defense. If I had to guess, when they try to adjust, they're going to adjust to this. And nine times out of ten, Thomas, when he was really into the game, he was right. And he had a play for it. I saw somewhere on uh, social media this week. I, I really did try to stay off of it because it was so negative this week. But a guy, you know, I don't know this person. I have no idea how accurate or true this story is. But it's a, a common philosophy in football. He said he saw Connor Shaw. He had a picture of him and Connor Shaw after the game. So he at least did that, unless this guy's really good at Photoshop. <laughs> about the fact that he asked Connor about playing for Spurrier. And he Connor made a comment that is – indicative of good coaching. He said, you know, I'll be honest with you. We ran about the three, four same plays each game. We just ran it out of multiple different formations. My former high school head coach who's one of the best to do it in the state of South Carolina high school football. Coach Davis used to tell me all the time, it's all smoke and mirrors. Find your three or four best plays and run it out of every formation you got, make it look different. But at the end of the day, you're not running 12 different plays, 15 different plays, 20 different plays. And here's where I get frustrated and concerned to equal your concern. We hear this term pro offense. Pro offensive playbooks are extremely complex. I mean, even a, even a play call for an offensive play set in, in the NFL is extremely complex to the point where quarterbacks practice saying it in, the, in their mirror before training camp. We've heard rookies doing this. But here's the other thing about that. Those NFL players not only have a lot of experience, they are a professional football player. Their job, their daily focus is football. The amount of hours they can put in is to football. Now, the NCAA college football has become very much a big business, and especially with NIL deals, we are now seeing more of a – you know, professional-like setting, if you will. But there are still limitations on practice. There are still limitations. These kids still got to go to class. They still got to go to study hall. They are mandated by NCAA rule to do that. I point that out to say, you can't have an encyclopedia of a playbook and expect them to know it very well. You know, that brings me to a point that Josh Van brought up on his podcast. And apparently he and Marcus Satterfield have talked about this. And Marcus Satterfield said Josh apologized. He pointed out that in the... Arkansas game on a key third down, they called a play. They hadn't practiced in weeks, in weeks, in a key third down. That is just not good football. That is just not good football. And I know that Shane Beamer is a CEO-type coach. He's known or has been known for his time here at Carolina as a head coach to let his coaches coach. That's great. And I, I respect that. I do. And it works, and it has worked. Coach Sweeney up in Clemson have, unfortunately for Carolina fans like you and me, have taken that to the ultimate success on numerous occasions. But you still, as a CEO coach, have to step in and veto at times and say, wait, 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 coach, we haven't practiced that this week or last week. It's not in our game plan. We're not prepared for that. Because the worst thing you can ask any football player on either side of the ball to do during a football play is think. The average football play lasts about two seconds. If I have to think, I'm in trouble because I need to be able to react. That is why you prepare a weekly game plan. You say, these are the plays we are going to run. These are the secondary plays we're going to run off those plays. And that's what we're going to rep in practice. And when we have repped it over and over and over again until it's muscle memory and there is no thinking, there is only reacting – that's when it's going to work its best. And Marcus Satterfield's answer in the press conference today was that it was a base play that he called it. I don't care. I don't care. It wasn't in the game plan. You can't tell me, or at least I I really hope you can't tell me, the only play, because he said it was the perfect play against that defense, the only play in your playbook is that play? Well, that's a bad playbook. And not sticking to your weekly game plan, not having an advanced enough game plan that is able to correct for in-game adjustments is just not acceptable. Thomas, at this point, South Carolina with Marcus Satterfield as its offensive coordinator has played 10 SEC games. In those 10 games, they are 3-7. and seven. In those three victories, they have averaged 17 points. 17 points. That is not a whole lot. All right? Now, it's not a huge difference in the games they've lost. They've averaged about 17 in the games they lost last year, except when you take out Missouri. If you take out Missouri, which was a 28-31 ball game, we averaged 14.2 points. Thomas, that, that can't be your offense. That can't be your offense and expect to win. And I would say in those victories last season, and I understand there were, there were, you know, injuries and, and deficiencies and all of those things. But like you said at the top of the show, we were told all those excuses were gone now. In those games they won against Vanderbilt, which they had to make a comeback to win by one and bring Zed Nolan in off the sideline to be the hero against an, uh, um, a Florida team that was really a mess by the time we played them. And an Auburn team that still looks to be a mess this year. And then, if you add in your other big victory of the year, North Carolina in the bowl game, North Carolina's defense was not very good last year. So he beat inferior defenses. That's great. J.C. Sherbert, who we've had on this show, talks about all the time that to be a great coach of Carolina, you have to be a do more with less coach. Right now, Marcus Satterfield is a do less with more coach. And it is going to impact us going forward. And you and I have ranted about it. Listen, I'm not giving the defense a pass. I know they didn't play great, but at the same time, there were seven starters missing by the end of that game. That is a whole lot of your offense to our defense to lose in one game or to not come in with. Seven of 11, that's a lot. And so I'm not giving them a free pass, but also they had a lot against them. And Georgia is a good football team. The other thing that really drives me nuts, Thomas, and I'm sorry, I know you ranted, so I'm going to rant for just a minute. <laughs> the idea that we keep hearing about, well, why isn't Josh Van getting the ball? Why is Jaheim Bell not getting the ball more? And, and Marcus Satterfield's response is simply that, you know, there are other guys open. Okay, cool. And Shane Beamer said similar things. Okay, cool. But I remember a time when Randy Moss was in Minnesota And they talked about what they called the Randy Ratio. They were going to call a certain number of plays where Randy Moss was the key route. That was route number one, progression number one, and put him in a place to be successful. That's great. And you have to have that for your great players. Because Jaheim Bell needs to be featured in the offense. He needs not just in jet runs and not just in zone handoffs, in the passing game. And it's just not happening. I want to see that from Jaheem. I want to see a bell breakdown instead of the Randy ratio, that we have a breakdown of plays that Jaheem's going to get the ball. And so on with other players as well. So, Thomas, we, we have officially beat that dead horse several times. <laughs> um, so let's talk about moving forward. Five things we want to see happen from South Carolina's offense going forward in these next two games when you play UNC Charlotte and you play South Carolina State. So I'm going to lead us off since I talk offense first. Usually, Thomas, number one for me: no turnovers, no turnovers, especially interceptions. I understand you could a tip ball happens this sort of thing, but that we, other than that um, unlucky circumstance, we we do not need to see bad read throws that turn into easy interceptions. That has to stop. I need at least two hundred yards rushing as a team in each of these games, with one player getting a hundred yards. That's I mean I'm, I'm I know I'm shooting pie in the sky. Let's talk about the fact that UNC Charlotte's defense is not very good. No, ever a. <laughs> yourself better. Get yourself right game. That's the first one. I need to see better protection up front. I will say, I do not think the offensive line played terrible against Georgia. There was pressure. There were times that there were problems. Even Coach Beamer said today that Spencer knows he's got to step up in the pocket, stop drifting, stop backpedaling. So I'm not putting all of that offensive line. I just we really need to see that. Here's the biggest thing I want to see. Number, I probably should have started with this. Sustained Long drives for touchdowns. I want to see 12 plays and a touchdown, 15 plays and a touchdown. And we just turn and turn and turn and score touchdowns, not field goals, touchdowns. Thomas, what are five things you want to see from this offense as you get ready for this week and next week?
1: Yeah, and before before I get into uh, to those, you're right. Uh, when I was looking at the show notes before this, and I looked at uh, at least 200 yards rushing as a team, I was like, I was like, you know, we're shooting really high con- considering what what we have done. But you're right, this Charlotte team is not a good defensive team. They've given up at least 200 rushing yards every game except for Maryland, and even Maryland rushed for 193. Georgia State, who we beat to open up the season had over 600 yards of total offense against this defense. So I don't think you're as, as wishful thinking as, as I once thought that was, but for me, from this offense, uh, of course, uh, a lot of it is around Rattler and Satterfield. Number one, I want to see more patience from Rattler in the pocket. You're right. The offensive line, You know, from a casual observer, it probably looks like they're garbage and they're not improving at all. For people like us that really pay attention and dig into these games, I have seen some improvement from that offensive line. He's had some clean pockets. Even against Georgia, the best defense since the Bears back in the day, he's had some clean pockets, yet he still gets those happy feet, still bails a little too early. So I want patience from him in the pocket. Let some things develop downfield. I also want better vision from Rattler in and out of the pocket. Um, even when he's in the pocket, a lot of times he tends to lock on guys and he misses misses people. We, uh, you and I, I jokingly call him checkdown Charlie because he's always going to that checkdown, and that's not necessarily always a bad thing. But when you're when you're locked on to one third of the field or just looking in the flats, you're going to miss some opportunities down the field. Um, and he he does have. It, I like the fact that when he's out of the pocket, he is constantly looking down the field, looking for open guys, but he's still kind of locked in on some guys, and sometimes he misses that back shoulder throw or that or that opposite hash throw. So I want better vision from Rattler, more patience from him. I also want, surprise, surprise, a creative, coherent game plan. Set up some plays without being predictable. You and I were talking the other day about a YouTube breakdown uh, that we saw and talked about how – how Satterfield does not – a good offensive coordinator, of course, uses uses plays to set up things later in the game. Satterfield will come back to the same concept in the same drive or the next drive. you got to give it time to, to let memories fade where you can hit that deep ball, use it to set up. It's like I don't know if he doesn't take notes on his play sheet or if he just is a moron and completely forgets. I tend to go with the latter because I do think he's a moron. Um, also, no empty sets – unless it's absolutely necessary. And what I mean by that is because I want that that uh, consistent running game, I want a, a concerted effort to establish that running game. I don't want us emptying the backfield unless it's absolutely necessary, unless it's third and 19, you know, third and 15 plus, something like that. No empty sets. Let's grind it out. Let's get duo inside zone, outside zone, just wear them down. Uh, and then finally, as you mentioned earlier, is is a running game. There is absolutely no reason that we should not have a really good running game these next two weeks. And honestly, as, as good as Marshall and Lloyd has looked this year, uh, I mean, we've got to give him a uh, concerted effort to give him more carries. It's not out of the question that he could leave after this year. And I honestly couldn't blame him if he wanted to.
0: Yeah, I mean, those types of things, transfers, things like that, have to start creeping into minds. And, again, Thomas, and will, we'll switch gears to defense. One thing I was going to point out earlier that I didn't. If you've ever wondered what, what's on a coach's play sheet, that thing that looks like a giant Waffle House menu, a <laughs> lot of times it's it's down in distance and tendencies, like I mentioned earlier. Okay, it's third and five. We're on this uh, yard line. You know, they, They're going to look at their finger and go, oh, okay. They typically – try to do this defense. You know, they're going to run cover three. They're going to blitz the mic. They're going to twist here. And you've got a play that you think is going to be the best to beat that situation. And then you mentioned taking notes on your play sheet. That's what you usually see those coaches doing. They're not, they're marking. Yep. That was the defense we got right there. They gave us what we expected or nope, didn't get what we thought we were going to get there. You know, need to rethink that for the next situation. And, you know, That's the sort of thing that we talk about when we talk about in-game adjustments. That's what we mean. Taking a moment to go, okay, we expected the defense to do X, Y, and Z, and instead they did this. How do we adjust? And it can't be, let's use a play that we haven't practiced in three weeks. Thomas, what do you want to see from the Gamecock defense, which again is, is beat up to say the least, What are some? What are five things you'd like to see from them in the next two weeks?
1: Yeah, defensive coordinator uh, Clayton White has taken some heat lately, and uh, and and I don't I don't think all of it is deserved. Yeah, even going back to last year, that this defense has had trouble with the run. Um, But again, uh, going into that Georgia game, you were down five starters, and then you lose two more in the game. This you, you really can't overcome that. So I'm I'm. I'm not ready to write off Clayton White yet. I still think he's a fantastic defense coordinator, but there are there's a lot of talent on this defense regardless, and, and I want to see some more things out of it. I want to see some more fire. Uh, number one, can we get a damn turnover? Through three games, South Carolina has one interception. That was in the opener against Georgia State. You look at last year through three games. Last year, South Carolina had seven turnovers. That is a phenomenal turnover uh, margin right there. We just we haven't seen those takeaways, and I think that the 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 wealth of takeaways that this defense had last year masked some of those other stats. Um, Defensive line penetration. We've got a lot of talent on that defensive line. We've got a lot of size there. I'm ready to see some big dogs creating chaos in the backfield. And I'm not even talking about sacks. Uh, you know, we could do a whole show on this, but the rate that college football is going, sacks is really a, 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 is kind of overrated. Uh, I want to see more hurries, more pressure. Sacks are no longer the the barometer that they once were. Even Georgia, that Bears defense, they've only got one sack in 2022. So it's kind of it's it's more important for me to get pressures and get hurries. Sidebar: I just learned this the other day. Hopefully, I can teach you something. Did you know where the term sack comes from, as in sacking the quarterback?
0: I, I do, but I saw you had it in the notes, so I'm not going to step on it. Go ahead.
1: <laughs> Deacon Jones, one of my favorite players from, from back in the day, he invented that term sack, and he was quoted as saying, like, you know, you sack a city, you devastate it. Now, I, I've never really heard the term of sacking a city, but uh, Deacon Jones, God rest his soul, I would never tell him he was wrong about anything because that guy was a beast. When you
0: think about Game of Thrones to nerd out for a second, you hear about the sacking of... Oh, uh, Yeah. Of, uh, the red keep or the sacking of King's landing. So that's, that is a term that is a term.
1: Fair enough. Deacon Jones uh, was a little uh, ahead of his time there. Um, <clears throat> but outside of that, and this is, this is really just, you know, fingers crossed here is no more injuries. You know, we started out the season worried about depth in the back, back seven, then you know, got a game or two. And I said, and we, I think we both felt a lot better about it. And now they're played with injuries again. And it seems to be a common theme with this, with this game cut program is, is so no more injuries there. Um, hold Charlotte to less than 200 rushing yards. I would love to sit here and say less than 150, but we're going to go with baby steps here. And I think that is certainly attainable. That is a realistic goal is just, just keep them under 200 rushing yards, preferably 150. Finally, limit explosive plays to less than 3. Those big chunk plays is what can what can kill you on defense and can really take the wind out of your sails. Georgia State had quite a few of those chunk plays that really kind of set some things back. So And, you know, this really comes down to uh, no breakdowns or missed assignments in the secondary, depending on how the injury report looks coming into this game. We could have a lot more youth out there. We had to try it out. BJ Gibson last week. And and of course, a great offensive coordinator like Todd Munkin. I'd love to have that guy. What does he do? He goes right after him first play and Brock Bowers, one of the greatest tight ends I've ever seen in my life takes it to the house on him. So we've got to have good communication in the secondary, no breakdowns, and limit those explosive plays. Where where are you with this South Carolina defense, and what are some things that you need to see out of them moving forward?
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm going to start off exactly where you started off, some turnovers. You You, you said it, again, you hit the nail on the head, you're on fire today. This defense's ability to get turnovers masked some issues on offense last year, bailed them out a few times on offense last year. So we've got to get back to that just because turnovers, like you said, the sack is no longer what it once was because the, the, the development of plays and the speed at which the game's played is so much faster. You don't get it as much, but a turnover is still that devastating thing to the offense. You've got to get some turnovers. I still want to see better better tackling. You know, I don't know if it's a, just the offensive guy in me, but it just it eats at you when you're like, Man, I need that tackle. And so you just wanna see some better tackling there. I agree with you again. I wanna see some tackles for loss. You know, sacks are one thing, but you can break through that line and make tackles for loss in the run game. That's it's happened in the South Carolina on, on several occasions here. That really disrupts your offense. You if you're in if you first and ten to second and 17, and it's because you got blown up in the backfield, that's a big problem. That's going to be really hard to come back from. It really disrupts an offense. need to see more of that. Big stops on third down. Got to get off the field on third down. And finally, I would say the two things, the thing I want to see for both games, I really want us to try to, to, to hold both these teams under 20 points. So what I mean by that is each team under 20 points, not 10 points per game. 20 points a game I think is reasonable because of who we're playing. That is not a disrespect to South Carolina State. They they have a very good football program. They should not have better athletes than us. I do like their coaches. I like their offense coordinator a lot. I like their their OL coach a lot, two former Gamecocks there. We'll we'll talk a little bit about that next week. But that's what I really need to see there, Thomas. If we had to put a bow on it over the next two weeks, you, like I, just want to see us look coherent would be the word I would use
1: yeah and you mentioned it earlier these these next two games are are what you like to call get right games and it gives you an opportunity to do some things uh get in a rhythm with some things and just establish a, a flow and and somewhat of an identity before you get into this brutal brutal conference slate of games um so yeah it's really and 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 honestly talk about it also with injuries is you you want to come out of these games as healthy as possible. You don't want any more injuries again, before you go into that brutal slate of conference games, it's just, it's just have a couple get right games and get some good reps here.
0: Absolutely. All right. We are going to switch gears to Clemson uh, and Wake Forest at Wake Forest this week. Um, and Clemson is coming off of two get right games uh, with La Tech and, um, And so, you know, by the way, shout out to LaTeX. Sadly, Brian Brizel, is that how I say his last name? Brezee. Brezee. He sadly, tragically lost his younger sister to cancer. Awful, awful, awful thing. And my heart goes out to him. I don't know if you saw this, Thomas, but the LaTeX football team, every single player wrote him a handwritten note you know, kind of wishing him condolences and, and telling them what they were thinking about him. And their coach was wearing a shirt in honor of his his sister. Amazing by La Tech. Thinking about that young man and his family, all Clemson jokes and, and rivalries aside, That is awful. So really good shout out to La Tech on what they did there. All right, let's talk Clemson Wake. Clemson's offense has had two weeks to get right. And, you know, it hasn't been the old Clemson explosiveness where it's running people off the team off the field, but they've looked, uh, the word I used earlier, coherent. DJ has looked, again, not phenomenal, but more comfortable, um, more in rhythm. And I think they have accomplished what they had hoped to accomplish in the past two games, built a little bit of confidence, found some rhythm, and established a set of plays they are comfortable with. And I think now is, like for South Carolina in, in a couple weeks, now's a chance to see, hey, did that all pay off? Are we more in a groove? Thomas, I don't want to step on your Wake Forest defensive information too much, but these are some things that I got to point out that are, I feel like going to help Clemson's offense a little bit, if you don't mind, too much. Have at it. All right, so Wake's defense has given up 26.2 points a game this season. That's a pretty good number. Right now, they're giving up 123 yards rushing per game, which is only good enough for eighth in the league. And they gave up 212 yards total after sacks and negative plays to VMI and 192 yards passing, which is good enough for fourth in the league. But when you play VMI and Vandy to start the season, those are two offenses that want to run the ball more than they throw it. And again, Their last game was against Liberty, which was a very close game, a one-point game. Liberty went for two at the end. Again, Thomas, you know how I feel about that. (laughs) Well, 321 yards to Liberty, and that is a large number. So I say all those things to say. Clemson's trying to establish a run game. Clemson's trying to establish a cohesive and coherent passing game. Right now, and you can correct me here if you feel like I'm wrong in a second, Wake Forest defense looks like they could help Clemson to continue that. What are your thoughts on this Wake defense going against Clemson?
1: Yeah, I think you're right on that. And, um, and and I've been impressed with some of the things that Clemson has done to, to get DJU a little bit more comfortable back there. Um and and looking at this, I, I was watching. Uh, I was checking out earlier. There was a, a passing chart of all of DJ use passes uh, through these three games, completions, incompletions, his tendencies, where he's going with them. Majority of his passes have been within ten yards of the line of scrimmage. You know that's going to be your quick passes, your screens. Clemson's offense is predicated on a lot of those bubble screens, the tunnel screens up the middle. Um, so. I, I think that if if Wake cannot get consistent pressure on Clemson's offense, it could be a long day for them. Uh, schematically, I, I'm looking at if I'm Wake here, I'm going to run a lot of nickel defenses. I want that fifth defensive back on the field. Uh, I want to keep my linebackers in zone coverage where they can get out to the flats, cover those dump-off routes, those short, quick routes from DJU. And probably some zone or zone match coverage on the back, everything on the back end, keep everything in front of them. I'm still not confident in DJU's ability with pressure in his face. He hasn't really seen a lot of that this year. Um, so weight needs to utilize twists stunts up front to confuse the offensive line, get as much pressure as possible on DJU. But the thing about DJ is he's he's a big guy. He's got some legs. I, I don't know that I would call him a true dual threat quarterback. But he always does have that ability, and you know that Brandon Schreeder and that office of staff, they do like to throw in some designed run calls for him, and he can take them for a big game. So linebackers have got to be mindful of his running ability and keep everything in front of them and just play smart football and not get burned over the top.
0: Yeah, I would agree with that. And so switching gears to Wake's offense, Sam Hartman, you know, uh, if you were paying attention to uh, the early season, he he had a bit of a scare with with some blood clot issues that were really holding him out. There was a little concern that he was going to be out for the year, and you know maybe he his football career could have even been over. But luckily, they've been able to clean that up, clear that up for him, and that he's a, he's able to get back out and play football. And then his his games back, has looked fairly good. Um, looked better against uh, Vanderbilt than he did against Liberty. Ended up throwing some some. Pretty rough passes at Liberty, or Liberty, and ended up throwing two picks um, that were that were costly there. Um, their offensive coordinator Thomas, tell me how to say his last
1: <laughs> Warren Ruggiero.
0: Ruggiero, Yeah, I would absolutely not. <laughs> He's been there since two thousand fourteen. He wants to be balanced, almost even leaning more on the run game. But interestingly enough, again against Liberty, they were only able to muster forty three yards rushing. Uh, Wake was. So this, this Wake team, although ranked and undefeated, I think's got some issues. And so Clemson, or Thomas, how is Clemson going to defend this offense?
1: Yeah, I think you're right. Wake, Wake being 3-0 and coming into this game is a little bit of fool's gold for me when when you break it down, because you mentioned they've got you know they're averaging 42 points a game but over who VMI Vanderbilt and then that 1 point win over Liberty after a failed 2 point conversion um and and you talked about how uh their their rushing game also last week against against Liberty was was pretty putrid Liberty's defensive ends I don't know what sort of game plan they had coming in but Liberty's defensive ends disrupted the edges so much that it made Wake one dimensional and that's how they had Virtually South Carolina level rushing yards. There you go, Marcus Satterfield. That's a freebie for you. Um, Hello. But <laughs> I had to. I, I did look back at at my notes from the Wake Clemson game last year, and, and we did talk about uh, this interesting offense. And, and we're not going to get into it now. Um, we'll, uh, we'll we'll give our, our, our listeners an opportunity to go back and listen to some classic episodes here. But we've got uh, you know Wake runs that slow mesh offense with a zone read or, or read where the quarterback and the running back are literally walking to the line of scrimmage in the middle of the play. And then he'll pull it at the last minute. And I said last, last year when I was, when we were breaking down a previewing this game, I said, you know, Clemson really needs to not be as aggressive, sit back, keep everything in front of him, let it develop. I was dead wrong. I said, don't blitz. I said, let the front four get pressure. And Brent Venables basically said to hell with that, stuck with his plan and got huge penetration and completely dismantled that slow mesh offense. We talk about it all the time. Penetration is the great equalizer. Now Clemson ended up winning that game last year, 48 to 27. Wake did have over 400 yards of offense, but three turnovers, which is a killer. It's hard for anybody to overcome that. So learning from my mistakes from the last time I previewed this game, Marcus Satterfield, you could learn from your mistakes as well. Um, he's you going to be a nice punching fire. bag today.
0: You are. He's <laughs> <always> on fire.
1: <laughs> Linebacker discipline. Um, uh, Clemson really needs to be better against that quick passing game. Furman had almost 400 yards of offense against Clemson. Furman. Now, Furman used a lot of quick passes, a lot of the screen game, and – and. Um, and Goodwin, I believe is his name, the DC at Clemson. He and Sweeney as well talked about they've got to get better at that. They've got to get better at those quick passes. So, outside of that, uh, again, kind of the same with Wake's defense, but insanely a, a whole lot more talent here is I'm running mostly nickel with zone coverage. I might, if I'm Clemson, I may roll a safety down in the box for run support if needed. But honestly, after I saw what Clemson's defense defensive front did to this wake offense last year, I'm going to just let the big boys up front go to work and eat. And I think they will have no problem slowing and or stopping this wake offense.
0: Yeah, I agree with that hundred um, percent. You know, again, those, bit, those guys up front for Clemson's defensive line, as it's been for many years now is, is about as good as, the, as it gets in the country. And uh, I think they'll, they'll make some big plays this week. The game is, at Wake Forest, so that is, uh, you know, always the home team always has a slight advantage there, in my opinion. The line is is seven and a half. I, I think Clemson wins by more than that. I, I think Clemson, you know, I think they'll be, you know, the defense, as you mentioned, has some things to clean up. And if they don't, Wake can hang around. But I think Clemson, uh, Wake's defense is not up to the task against Clemson's offense, even though they're still working some things out. And I think this is a game Clemson wins I wouldn't say easily, but I don't think it's going to be a nail biter, uh, Thomas. What are what are your thoughts?
1: Yeah, I think you're right. I think Clemson covers that number. I do think that that Clemson is is going to have to have to put up some points here. Um, you know, just looking back as I'm as I'm buying time here um, at Clemson's previous games. I mean, I think. I think Clemson's probably good for 40-something. I'm looking like a 40-something to a 20-something type game here. I think Clemson handles business, and it's never really in doubt either.
0: Yeah, I think you're probably right. I'm being a little conservative on that. I, I could see Clemson winning by three scores if, if they're if they're clicking. All right, so Thomas, let's take a quick look at week three of college football. Big win for Penn State over on 42-12.
1: Yeah, and I think uh, if you're if you're a Penn State fan, and I think I only know uh, one Penn State fan, but uh, and I haven't had a chance to to catch up with him, but if you're a Penn State fan, you, you had to love seeing that, notwithstanding Auburn and and the woes that they've had. Um, but I think that is what Penn State fans have been looking for from an explosive performance. But but what what I'm really thinking about is how much longer is Auburn going to keep this Harson experiment going? Um, I, I just, uh, if things are not getting better there, he had to dump a whole bunch of coordinators after last year, Auburn just seems to be spiraling, spiraling more and more as the season goes on. And, and as the years go on, I just don't know how much longer Auburn is going to be willing to put up with Harson and keep him around.
0: I think the seed is getting extremely warm. Of course, you had the end of the year weirdness and off season weirdness in Auburn where it looked like he was getting fired and then he didn't and <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know that he survives it again. He, he's going to have to write the ship pretty quick for that to happen. Thomas, tell, tell us our next bullet point because you wrote it in and I really want you to get the chance to call that out.
1: <laughs> you know, I, I had even completely forgotten about this until I was listening to Andy Staples and, and Ari Wasserman's uh, podcast, great podcast to check out, particularly on Sundays because they record that Saturday night, usually as games are ending. But everybody, ha- has anybody – Sat down and really noticed Kansas. The Jayhawks are 3-0 and after a beatdown of Houston last week. I mean, that came out of nowhere. I've been very impressed with Kansas, uh, all things considered. Head coach Lance Leopold, I believe is his last name. He's doing a phenomenal job there with a the rebuild. And honestly, I could see Kansas being... Six and zero going into the Oklahoma game, and I think the wheels will probably fall off there. But damn impressive from the Jayhawks.
0: I agree with you, and I've even heard that coach's uh, name mentioned potentially for the Nebraska job. Um, you know, I don't think I don't think Kansas wants to lose, you know, their head coach to Nebraska. But you know, <laughs> money talks, and we'll see what happens. But you know, that's going to be an interesting situation. Nebraska's um, there's been rumors. And you know by some reputable people that Nebraska has been talking to one Urban Meyer as well. So we'll see what happens there. All right, and then Thomas, Florida, the Florida Gators survive USF thirty-one-two. Yes, Gator team. What what what, what, what?
1: I, I, I don't get it. I, I really don't get it. I mean, and this this dynamic Anthony Richardson that everybody was talking about. Well, well, this is this is after the Utah game, this this is what we all knew that this guy could do. Against USF, he was a pedestrian ten of eighteen for 112 yards and two interceptions. I mean, and honestly, USF should have won that game. Um, I think I think Florida is going to spiral here a little bit, particularly after this weekend when we get into our week four games here.
0: I agree with you. And, and that Utah game may have been some fool's gold. Um, yes. Got the Gator faithful a little bit more excited than they actually need to be about this season. Awesome. I love it.
1: I love it.
0: Switching into week four games, you talked about the big noon game that we've hit on. Clemson at Wake with a minus seven, seven and a half long. We both think Clemson covers there. Let's take a second to talk about the big Florida game this week against and at in Knoxville. Uh, College game day is going to be there. And one Steve Spurrier is the guest picker. I
1: did not know that. All right.
0: Game. Interesting. Of course, if you're a football fan, you know Steve Spurrier is the former Florida head football coach. He is also from Tennessee. So he's got a double, you know, kind of connection there. And he, that's why when he was at Florida, I feel like he always had a little bit of fun needling the Vols even more than he did anybody else because he was grew up in Tennessee. And so that's an interesting, I think that's the most fun thing that game day's done since bringing Pat McAfee in. And, and so having him as the guest picker could bring some fireworks, but let's let's talk a little bit again. We just mentioned I I don't know who the Gators are. I'm mm. not who they are. Tennessee still has that lightning fast offense. You know, still has that, you know, literally you can't take a breath and they're they're, you know, going for another snap. And, you know, have a pretty good look on defense. Thomas, what are you seeing here in this field?
1: Yeah, I, I'm I'm very excited about this game because I think there's going to be some some fireworks in this game. And um, as much as I hate Tennessee and I'm not really a Josh Heupel fan, Hendon Hooker has has, has really has really evolved into a really good quarterback. Uh, and and speaking of an offense that has an identity and knows what they want to do, that is an offense that you know what they want to do, and they want to go fast and they want to sling it around. Um, so uh, hatred aside, sometimes it's a lot of fun to watch. I think that game could be a lot of fun. But honestly, man, I think – and, yeah, Tennessee's only favored by 10.5 in this – this is one of those games where I could see Tennessee winning by 25 points or they could win by three just because Tennessee is probably going to have that that slugfest breakdown game at some point this season. But they're really clicking right now, and I think Florida is, is reeling a little bit after last week when they won. But, uh, gosh, I mean, I think if I'm a Florida fan or on that staff, it still feels kind of like a loss. they got to get that ship right. Um, this game could be a lot of fun, and it could get ugly for Florida.
0: Absolutely. I mean, the Vols have been sort of cursed against the Gators in the past several years, really kind of historically. So it will be interesting to see, like, does Florida, does the Florida team that played Utah show up? And all of a sudden we got a big game down in uh, Neyland Stadium. Uh, we'll see. Um, I, I, I do – but I, I believe the Vols are going to cover, and, and by covering a 10-point-plus spread, going to win pretty comfortably. Um, I, I just – Sun Sunbelt sun Billy uh, and his <laughs> are, are not the gamers of the past. And maybe he can build that program. Time will tell. But they aren't, in my opinion, there yet. I, some, I don't know what happened to the Utes of Utah coming all the way across the country. Uh, but I, they since that game, Florida has not really impressed me. Um, None. So the the, the late-night game we want to talk about here is Arkansas, the Razorbacks. At Texas A&M, interestingly, in my opinion, a Texas A&M team that has not looked great. It, this line's only one and a half. Thomas, so let's talk. Let's point What do you? What do you think about? I,
1: I, this I, I honestly, when I first, when I was looking, when we were preparing for the show today, and I first saw that line that A&M. Uh, and this game is in College Station, but A&M was favored by one and a half. I had to check some other books because I was like, "That's a misprint. There, there's no way." But no. A&M is favored by one and a half. How is AM favored in this game? Arkansas, right now, in my opinion, is definitely at least the second best team in SEC West. They might even be the best team in the West. I'm still, I think the jury's still out on, on Bama. I'm sure they'll put it together. But, I mean, this AM team, you, you've got the loss to App. Um, they had a. a a extremely boring 17 to 9 win over Miami last week. Jimbo Jimbo heard heard all the noise. He did make a quarterback change, brought in Max Johnson. Max Johnson was was only 10 of 20 for 140 yards and a touchdown, not really lighting it up. Arkansas, as we've seen, notwithstanding the, the crap offense they played against us, um our offense, but they've got a very good defense. I mean, Miami rushed for 175 yards on A&M. App State rushed for 181. Rocket Sanders for Arkansas is going to go off, and I'm glad that he is on my roster in fantasy football this weekend. Wow.
0: Absolutely. Um, I, I'm going to be honest with you. I, I think the Razorbacks roll. I yeah. Think they absolutely roll. As of right now, and you said it, Alabama will put it together. As of right now – they're the second-best team in the SEC. It's Georgia, and then it's the Razorbacks. Yeah. And are knocking on the door, but right now I have not seen something to tell me that Arkansas can't be a great football team. We've talked, when we talked about the South Carolina game, about the secondary questions, particularly with some injuries, and that could be their, their Achilles' heels down the road. But when you've got Max Johnson going 10 of 20 for 140 yards in a 17-9 game, that's I'm I'm not particularly worried about the secondary, and to be honest with you, I'm not sure they don't have the best linebackers in the country right now. Uh, uh, oh yeah, I mean I mean notwithstanding Will Anderson, I mean that when you I'm talking about as a group, Will Anderson yeah. Jr. Alabama is a complete freak of nature, but when you put together that group of linebackers for Arkansas, I, I just think they're pretty darn good, and I, I think. I think Arkansas is going to really sort of, in my opinion, could embarrass the the AM team, and things will get super hot for Jimbo if that happens. You know, they were already hot after losing to App State. You get smoked by a this is an old school uh, Southwestern conference rivalry. Oh yeah. This, this or this rivalry goes back for a long time, 70s, 80s. And so this is the this these two teams, these two fan bases have a history with each other. So the boosters for Texas A&M, they don't want to lose to the Razorbacks. They don't want to, they don't want to see that happen. So I, Jimbo is in trouble if he loses this game, especially if he loses this game big. Um that that's my big thought and I think he's going to.
1: Yeah, I think so too. The the only thing that is just there there's still that nagging little voice in the back of my head that says what does Vegas know that we don't know? Because nine times out of 10 Vegas is right. They, they didn't, they didn't build that massive city by giving away all their money. So I don't understand that, but I, I still just, I, I just, Arkansas just has so much more, uh, so much more on the field than AM. and I just really don't see how Arkansas doesn't roll here.
0: I agree with you. And I mean, bookmakers, you're right. They didn't build all those casinos because they were giving money away. So they, they must know something, but, uh, I just think they're wrong here. I mean, we may talk next week. And we're like, holy cow. We were. Uh, <laughs> they had to kick the field goal to win the game by one. And wow, Vegas knows what they're talking about. So, yep. so that's the thing. All right, everybody. I hope you enjoyed listening this week. Check us out on social media uh, at, at SAA Football Fan on Instagram and Twitter. At SAA Football Fan on Instagram and Twitter. You can also email us at, at SAA at gmail.com. If you've got a question, you disagree with us, got a game we want to cover, you want us to cover, got a question about a football scheme, go ahead and write in, tell us it, and we'll be happy to answer that question for you on the air. Excited about that opportunity. Thomas, I feel like week four is sort of where we start getting into the meat and we start seeing conference games. And and this this is a this is a lineup of games. We mentioned the ones we're really interested in, but there's some others as well that I'm super excited for.
1: Yeah, I think so, too, because you really start to, uh, like you said, a lot of people have those get right games right now. But this is when you really start getting into the meat of the schedule and people start to separate themselves and teams. You really start to see what sort of depth these teams have and if they can really go the distance. And this this is why this is when I really start getting fired up about the season and seeing how things are going to go. Not as a South Carolina fan, just as a college football fan.
0: Totally agree with you on post. <laughs> uh, absolutely correct. All right, Thomas, uh, as we head out the door, tell the people whatever you want.
1: Marcus Satterfield, pack your bags and get out.
0: There you go. All right, see you next time.